0: Welcome to the Generation Freedom Podcast. I'm Nadie. I'm your host. I'm a licensed professional counselor in Houston, Texas. On the podcast each week, we're going to explore all things mental health, finding life balance, wellness, and interpersonal relationships This platform is for those of us working towards becoming the best versions of ourselves that we've ever been. And just by the way, I really hope you enjoy the content on this podcast, but please know what you hear on this platform is not intended to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Okay, let's get started. This week on the podcast, I am joined by a very special guest, my bestie, my best friend, Asia Holston Barber. Asia is a racial justice strategist whose work is based in political science, in the public health sector, in psychology, and organizational change. Asia has a huge passion for facilitating the understanding that the unfair conditions that we live in are created by systems. She's clear that we can build something different by transforming our systems and institutions in ways that create fundamental healing for all of us. Asia is actually originally from Texas, uh, where I am, and she received both her bachelor's in political science and her master's in youth development from the Texas A&M University. And we'll get into why uh, maybe we don't love to shout that out too much. Uh, But she moved to Louisville in 2016. Where she worked as an integral part of the leadership team for the Center for Health Equity in the Louisville Metro. Department of Public Health and Wellness. And so now in 2020, she began consulting full time to be able to support a wide range of organizations that do justice work where she's able to teach them how to do their work in ways that don't reinforce racism. So I really want you to pay close attention to this episode, especially where she explains some really good ways for you to get involved in um, the hierarchy that she discusses as to the different levels of involvement that's really my favorite part of this conversation we had so really pay attention and get your notes out because you can get involved in anti-racism and dismantling white supremacy and she's going to tell us how so i won't keep you waiting any longer let's get into the episode Hello everyone, welcome back. I'm super excited because it is my number one, my very first podcast interview is happening right now and it's with my very best friend so I'm super hyped to be able to do this interview for you guys so I think you're gonna really like getting to know her um this is Asia Holston Barber I gave you all her all her credentials and all her histories and everything just a minute ago um but we're here now Asia say hey girl hey girl hey y'all Hi, Heidi. What's up? Um, so, I want to dig into some pretty heavy topics and maybe complex topics for people that are new to the game um, in regards to racial justice and strategy. And since you are the expert, I would like you to tell us just a little bit about you and your journey to becoming uh, a racial justice strategist as well. Um, and maybe what that is for people that don't. I don't know.
1: Yes. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you for having me, Nadie. I love you. I appreciate it. You're so welcome. <sighs> okay. Well, I've had a very busy day, so I appreciate all the love and grace you're going to offer me today in this phone call. Um, well, I think maybe the first thing that would be helpful is for me to try to quickly define racism because that is like at the root of what a racial justice strategist is. So I have a very formal definition that I use when I do my work with organizations that comes from Dr. Kamara Jones. She is a public health legend, so I encourage people to look her up. She's done really beautiful work for how to connect how racism is impacting our health um, as a community as, and as individuals. So my definition comes from her, uh, but the way I'll briefly say it is, I define racism as a society-wide design around opportunity and value that's based on race. And this design depends on creating and concentrating disadvantage for many people in order to concentrate advantage for a small amount of people. And by doing this, this system that's designed around this undermines the realization of who we could be as a society because our resources are wasted on designing that rather than designing what we should be designing, which is like how to be in good relationship with each other and take care of each other and take care of ourselves. So an example of this kind of concentration of um, disadvantage for many by concentrating power and you know advantage for some is the Europe, like the original, right? The European genocide of native people and the enslavement of African people, which were purely about European profit and power still land, still labor, make profit. That's like the tried and true equation of white supremacy. So that's how I talk about racism. Um, Shout out to me, because I usually do 90 minutes training around racism, and that was in like 60 seconds. So as a, thank you, (laughs) see me. (laughs) (laughs) So as a racial justice strategist, and if that's what racism is, then as a racial justice strategist, I strategize with others to build towards the major concepts and the details that are needed to really undo white supremacy's impact on our lives. Um, Also, I'll say like I use racism and white supremacy interchangeably. So to do this work well, we have to unlearn what white supremacy has taught us about how to move through the world, how to build towards change, how to work with each other. We have to unlearn that so that we can think as big as we need to for our visions, right? So in my world as a racial justice strategist, I work with social justice organizations across the state of Kentucky um, to support these organizations in unlearning how white supremacy has impacted their own work and to go deeper with a racial justice analysis. So does that make sense?
0: Some of it makes very good sense. The example of how we normally see racism like the typical like European, you know, take over, colonize, purely for gain and profit, like that idea does resonate. That is typical of what I know. And maybe hopefully what most mm-hmm. people know and see is racism. But really, really interesting that the definition requires the clarity. Why do you think the definition You even having to do like you said, ninety minute presentations on on racism, filtering it down to one minute for for those of us. (laughs) What what, what do people get confused about the definition of racism?
1: I love that question. Um, Well, one way to say it is we know, know, we know that white supremacy has designed everything about the country that we live in, right? Like from its founding it's been there just designing and making decisions and all the things. Mm -hmm. And so we have been raised in a society like Adrienne Murray Brown and many other people talk about this as we're actually living in the imagination of slaveholders. And for us to live differently, we have to live in our own imagination of freedom. Right. But we have to like be able to see our very matrixy.
0: Interesting. Well, Yes. yes. Because the world that we live in was created and built and and structured by slave owners, supremacists. right? So I have to re re reimagine the whole thing. The whole thing went not just everything. Yeah. I
1: didn't think pieces of it.
0: Good. Yeah, that's actually really good. So because
1: we're living because we were born into and we were raised by a society that's been created by white supremacy our imagination of what's possible and our language for what is is very limited white supremacy and white supremacists don't want us to have strong rigor and detailed language around racism why would they want that <laughs> because that would not create a world where they can maintain themselves so they,
0: can't they win that have way. very we have
1: words they can't win that way
0: how could they win because
1: the only way that they can win is by cheating And Hmm. that's one of the ways that they cheat. Hmm. And so our language around racism, especially without like, uh, again, I use this word rigor a lot, without like rigorous study of it, you know, like really just studying it like it's the skill that it is. Our language around racism is muddied. And it's kind of a combination of what we've been taught about racism, which we know is not good, and what our experience. And our awareness of our experience with racism has been, and all of that are like, especially our experience with racism, it's important to to bring into the conversation, but it can't be the only thing that's kind of guiding our definition of racism. So I always start with all my work with people with defining shared language like racism and other words too, so that we're clear, like, what are we talking about? if we can have the same conversation on what we're talking about then we can go deeper in what we do
0: that's really interesting that it can't just be the experience of it it has to also be the the research and I assume what the statistics and what's, what's really happening. Cause there's only so much, I guess, that we know as as regular people, lay people, we know what we've experienced versus someone like you who has the education and the, and the research background, the actual work in the, in the streets, if you will, with it, when all we have is, you know, are getting called the N word down the street and stuff mm-hmm. like that, that does sound like it could be different things.
1: And it's, you know, again, like, it's all important. Like, I, I always recognize that it's important that, like, just because I've studied this doesn't mean that I, I'm better than people who are coming to an understanding around racism just from their analysis. Mm-hmm. I just think it's really important. I mean, just from their experience, I just think it's really important for us to remember that how we understand the world is shaped by white supremacy. So how we're going to understand what we've experienced is going to be clouded by white supremacy. And so, you know, I say this all the time. Racial justice work is a skill set. And in the same way that we wouldn't just take someone off the street to, like, go and do a very complex surgery, I would like us to approach racial justice with. And those of us who do racial justice work do. But I think it's just I don't know how often, again, because the language around racism is so muddy because of white supremacy. like I don't know how often we really get to think about the skill sets around racial justice work. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that I say is vague language leads to vague strategy. Mm -hmm. So if we have very vague language around racial justice, then our ability to strategize towards freedom is going to be vague. And let me tell you, white supremacy is not vague at all.
0: Right wow i love all of this i feel i am learning all the things already i really really appreciate you breaking breaking the things down like this because i don't know i just think that people don't know even that like you said the idea that it is a it's a skill that is learned and honed um and practiced and you want to defer to the people with the expertise not any any old body. That was a really good example. We're not going to ask, you know, just such and such off the street like, hey, we need this open heart surgery real fast. Like this is somebody that has been in school for a decade that knows and practiced this exact procedure several times, you know, kind of thing. So I appreciate mm-hmm. all of this. With that in mind, because of this complex work, I do wonder. I know a lot more of your history, but for the for the people, how did you know this is what you wanted to do? Like how did you get into this type of work even doing, you know, I know you did political science in undergrad, but did you know this is where you were trying to be? You
1: know, I was thinking about this question and it's interesting. I mean, the short answer is no. I did not know this is where I wanted to be. Right. I could have never dreamed, right, that the level of detail and expansiveness that is in my work, like I would have never, that was dreams that were far beyond what 20-year-old Asia could dream of. Mm -hmm. Um, But 20-year-old Asia would also be very proud to see this. And yes, I wouldn't have known that, but yes, girl, that is exactly what I wanted to be doing. So, you know, there's like a both and there. But I think that I, as I was reflecting, I was like, I think I have, I know that I have for a very, very long time been clear that I wanted to make, I don't, I hate to say it like this, but I wanted to make the world less mean. Like I wanted to not have to experience the world in such a mean way.
0: I like that language a lot. Okay. I think that's a really good way to say it, making the world less mean. I resonate with that, to be honest with you. I like that.
1: You know, the, and the, the kind of, so, you know, I'm a Gemini. So, you know, I'd be having levels <laughs> <to the thought laughs> I that <love>. I'm having. <laughs> so one level that's happening right now is just like the world isn't mean, right? Like, you know, I like to honor Mama Earth. Like Mama Earth isn't mean. Um, Europeans <laughs> created a very mean world. And so I wanted to make it less mean to experience other people. And I knew that very early on. But when it started to crystallize into like, okay, what could that look like for work? When I was an early teenager, I was like, well, maybe I'll be a lawyer, you know? So like at like 13, I was like, that's what I want to do. And then it kind of shifted to like maybe social work. But then when I got to college, you know, college that... I'm not going to be super lit about, but like, you know, I'm, I'm appreciative of my experience. I had some really beautiful experiences, including meeting you, girl.
0: Right. Uh, it, is I love. It, is, though. it is the type of school that it is with the history that it has, girl.
1: You know, you know, we're not going to celebrate the white folks.
0: Um, so,
1: but at that school is when I really began to, I mean, to be honest, like President Obama being elected and just like the massively racist response to that that was mm-hmm. happening literally around me
0: mm-hmm. when I was in high school, like was like, Oh, was <laughs> what is that about? Right? I can't
1: remember junior or senior year, something like that.
0: I would, cause I'm pretty sure I was a freshman at Texas A&M when it was 08. I graduated mm-hmm.
1: 2010.
0: It was, I was a freshman. It was awful.
1: Yeah. I believe it. Because when I got to the school two years later,
0: mm-hmm. it was
1: awful. And I, I was
0: like, Oh,
1: this is not okay, and I, you know, that's when things start to change for me. And I got involved in, you know, the organizations that I got involved in. But what really shifted it for me was when Trayvon was murdered. And I mean, you know, like that changed right. my organized my my life. Well, like
0: I went like, from right. yeah,
1: I will, I will never be the same because of two thousand um, eleven mm-hmm. to two thousand thirteen. Like just those those years. I absolutely and so
0: remember that and that shift in you. I do.
1: I bet it was very stark. <laughs> like to experience it. <laughs> it was like, "Whoa, <laughs> what's happening with this girl?"
0: Well, you know, it wasn't. I I mean, I wouldn't even say stark cuz you know you have the journey already of, of of wanting to to I I don't know when you got into it, but you were a Casa advocate and uh probably because you still have that mindset that maybe I'll get into social work maybe I'll get into this and then boom tragedy
1: and you know I had my group of people we were doing organizing on campus trying to raise awareness trying to start some shit and I had my smaller group of people that we like drove to Florida whoa we drove to Florida we met people um you know we protested in Sanford just all of the alignment that was happening in my life led me to being invited to apply for a weekend convening that was happening with 100 black youth organizers across the country that was really around how to engage black youth in politics beyond just presidential elections. So that was kind of the topic of the weekend. And that weekend ended up being the weekend that the Zimmerman verdict came back. And so we watched that together. Um, and the amount of trauma, that happened in that room right like visible it was loud it was like visceral trauma that we all felt and that we all expressed and the rest of that weekend was well what are we gonna do there's a hundred of us who are here together from across the country this is not by accident this is alignment we collectively and (laughs) I use that loosely because your girl was I was like zombie the rest of the weekend right like that was like so traumatic Mm -hmm. um but decided to Form a collective called the Black Youth Project One Hundred, and BYP One Hundred, which is the acronym, um, remains one of the leading organizing or social justice organizations in the country today. Um, from that moment, along with a progressive an, an ecosystem of organizations who were founded in that moment, um, like Dream Defenders and other
0: folks. Wow! Can you imagine being a person? That was a part of the start of such a big thing. Wow.
1: The responsibility that that comes with, right? To say, we're, regardless of how long we're connected to this organization, we are saying that we are committed to Black freedom. And wherever we go, we need to show up for Black freedom. And we need to be students of the Black Southern Freedom Movement. We need to be students of the abolitionist movement. Like we need to take this very seriously and approach it like the skill that it is and get better and better. Yeah, honestly, you know, white supremacists have us fucked up. Like honestly, they had our ancestors fucked up. They got us fucked up. And we're going to do what our ancestors did, which was come together and strategize and act for how to end what, you know, was in front of them that needed to be ended. So it's you know they did their work and now it's our turn.
0: As I live and breathe, I just can't. I just cannot. That's why I have Google alerts turned on for you at all times. (laughs) Oh well, (laughs) because I know (laughs) that moving, that moving is happening. Things are in motion. The wheels are turning. I know. know I'm gonna wake up today and something big is gonna be up with this girl. So
1: because you know we don't play. But to finish answering your question. So, that organizing, like that experience, that community dramatically changed what I understood as change and how to participate in change. And so, I kind of just, I don't even know. I I feel like I got, when you get in alignment, and especially when you get in alignment around racial justice, for me, right? It was just like boom, 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 like one thing happened after another, and it was all because of what had just happened. Um, And it all led me here. So, I ended up going to grad school where I studied the trauma of white supremacy um, as a community-wide system, not just like individual white supremacists, which is how psychology was looking at it. I think they're evolving to, you know, individual racism versus the fact that like, no, we live in a racist society. And so I studied that. I studied how social justice really shapes healing. I also studied some things around like leisure, like the history and the politics of leisure, which really just helped me understand that, in European history, the wealthy have always hoarded, (laughs) like, the idea of rest and leisure and joy. They've always kind of had this kind of class, right, of wealthy and and poor, and so that shapes for me, like, rest and joy are very important to my vision and to the work that I do and to what I'm trying to build towards for everybody, and then after grad school, I moved to, I love that part of my, like, today language around it is, um, Pleasure activism, which is also language from um, Adrian Mar- Marie Brown and the collective of pl- pleasure activists. I love that. You know, like we're not just fighting to end something; we're fighting to create all the things that we want and that we deserve. And then I came to Kentucky. I moved to Kentucky. You know, living in Louisville, like they murdered Breonna Taylor. There was the uprising that happened around that. There was the general election and the crisis around that. There was the right. pandemic. 2020 just came and I was like, I have to commit to my work in bigger ways than just working at the health department will allow me to. So in October, I made a jump to uh, leave my full time job and start contracting. Um, so now I work with organizations that are, include the health department, yeah. but also include organizations across the state, um, within the city of Louisville, big organizations, small organizations. And that's how I got here generally
0: what a story when you hear it all together I just I love the journey I love the journey that's super super cool and you being able to do like kind of full circle in a sense when it comes to alignment that you mentioned earlier and saying oh I must get in alignment and do what I set out to do almost that's kind of how how it sounds that 2020 hit and you said oh you know I got to kick it into gear, put on my cape and do what I was meant to do. So, that's yeah, because so the white cool. supremacists
1: were hustling in 2020. Mm-hmm. For real. Mm-hmm. I to, okay.
0: Well, okay, okay. So on the systems that are already in place that we are trying to dismantle out here in these streets, the murders of beautiful black and brown lives that have been happening, obviously for always, but 2020, social media, everything's coming to a head. Diversity and inclusion is the is the phrase of the day because of all the all these things, right? such a big topic and the way I understand it what you just said like the organizations that you work with they're already doing racial justice work right you're not doing necessarily like diversity inclusion with those types of organizations clear clear it up for me if that's not the case but because we're hearing so much about that what's different about that than the racial justice work that you do or that the organizations that you work with do Mm
1: mm-hmm that's another great question. Um, it's another reason why in the trainings that I offer, I start off with shared language around many different words. So I talk about racism. I talk about diversity, equality, inclusion, equity, anti-racism, right? There's a whole lot of words out there. So uh, many in many words. Dear. Dad, the language so is
0: important.
1: Language is important. We know it's always evolving. Um, and these words have meant Healthy, good things for us have helped us think differently about the world we live in. And what I say is that white supremacy, its goal is always to maintain itself. And so what it also likes to do is as words start to become a threat, it likes to neutralize the power of that word.
0: It's like Skynet. My God. Not that its its goal is to maintain itself. Like, that's what they're... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is that, that's what that reminds me of like it's like, like wow you what know interesting, like connection okay So sorry my brain exhausted. i dig it yes
1: yes its job is whatever is what comes to your mind when you think wow that thing is always trying to maintain itself like that is white supremacy so when i say it's it's detailed it's detailed um it's so detailed that it has taken these words diversity and inclusion and reframed them to us, repackaged them and given them to us, separated them out from every other part of the conversation that needs to be oh, happening.
0: And it, has us focus just a on that. Yeah. Like it's a whole separate thing. And so white folks are jumping on and like, oh no, 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 no. We're working on our diversity and inclusion and, you know, whatever, whatever. <gasps> wow. You
1: know, it's tricky. It's the white supremacy is tricky, girl. I'm telling you. That's why That's why I say you got to study it (laughs) because it's tricky. And so with all of that said, what I'll first say is that diversity and inclusion work is different than what I do, like period. Obviously, you know, there are connections. Um, You know, we're all kind of orbiting this conversation of racism in some way. But generally, diversity and inclusion work, when I think about it and the way that I talk about it is that it's very much about office work culture. Maybe there's some conversation around, like, who you personally know, but I think it's less about, like, who are your friends? But mostly it's, okay, in our office spaces, we got all white people here. Like, <laughs> What are we going to do so right. that there's not just three Black people who work in the 60-person office? Right. Um, how do we create a, quote-unquote, welcoming environment? So, you know, diversity and inclusion work is, it's an admission, kind of, that white people are racist. Kind of, right? Barely. Right. (laughs) Like, we're kind of racist, but, like, we're not going to say that. (laughs) Y'all figure out what y'all need so that y'all can work around us.
0: Right. When you say, now that you say that it comes across as a something that they can palette, like, it's very difficult for for white people to admit that they are racist it's very difficult for them to admit their racist history And so, diversity and inclusion seems like this like really really cool way like i can hire black women that's nothing of course of course i can do that Let's i can hire a can black woman up. before the end of the year yeah that's, I can do that's that. all that's all we need cool right <laughs> we need somebody to uh-huh. be in in the VP? Yes, yes, we'll get, let's get an Asian girl. Let's Even get, better, let's can get I hire own. a
1: diversity position and make that a Black person? Can I, like, get to...
0: <laughs> it seems like an easy fix. Yes, mm-hmm. it seems like an easy fix. Wow, enlightenment. I didn't think about that, but it does make it, it's like this easily palatable, they can handle it topic. Yes,
1: so, you know, a whole lot more I could say about diversity and inclusion. But to offer maybe a little bit of what the difference is, so my work, I talk about as racial justice work, which is an umbrella term that I like to use for all of what it takes to do racial justice work. So sure, diversity and inclusion mm-hmm. are part of yeah. many, 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 many parts that all need to be working in lockstep to do solid racial justice work.
0: Ah. And it's a the puzzle, but it's not the whole, it's obviously not a whole puzzle. I see.
1: It's a very tiny piece of the puzzle, to be honest. You know, um, some of the ways that I talk about diversity and inclusion is we've all been conditioned by white supremacy. So just having different black people or different people of color like in a position doesn't actually mean that anything's going to change about how, whatever is the racist things you all are doing, because everybody has not unlearned white supremacy. And with inclusion, There's this, um, it's like implicit, but it's kind of saying, well, our white culture remains the culture. We just want to bring y'all into it. We want y'all to feel a little bit more comfortable in here. You know, it's not like, well, we got to knock this down. Oh, oh,
0: wow. Let you
1: sit with that.
0: (laughs) I don't even keep going. Don't mind me. Wow, though. So.
1: (laughs) So, again, you know, on their own, white supremacy has taken them, put them, on, put them on their own and said, yes, y'all, we'll give y'all not only. Well, first of all, white supremacy has made a little bit of room for those words to come into their culture. But even then they fight that. Right. So it's like, OK, we're actually going to take a piece of what you're asking for and then we're going to fight it nonstop. So you're constantly fighting for that rather than the full scale of what you need. So of change my that could be made. Mm-hmm. So my work follows the work of community organizers, of strategists, of the history of the Black Southern Freedom Movement. So again, different, right? It's not about even work culture. The legacy of the Black Southern Freedom Movement, you know, this is the legacy of the Black Power Movement, the Civil Rights Movement, the anti-rape and anti-lynching movement of the early 1900s. The and how that continued throughout the 1900s, the slavery abolitionists, right? Like this goes all the way back to the first Native and African people on this land who were like, "Mm, we have to resist this in some way, um, and laid the foundation for us to be where we are today. So my work is to completely is to strategize how to completely abolish the power of white supremacy, and so from this vantage point. I have a lot of critiques about quote unquote office work culture, right? So I'm actually less invested in trying to support corporations in their attempts to bring more of my people into their hamster wheel. Hmm. Um, What did did Daenerys say in Game of Thrones? I'm trying to break the wheel, except for real. Not like what they did in the show, but like for real, for real. So, you know, let me (laughs) get me started on Game of Thrones. So the kinds of organizations, yes, to what you were saying earlier, the kinds of organizations that I work with are the organizations that have already committed their resources to social justice work.
0: Gotcha. Whether,
1: yeah, whether it's on the ground organizing, you know, their door knocking or their building power on the ground, whether it's policy advocacy, whether it's statewide or local Um, the topics of the organizations that I work with are really vast from public health to electoral, to, um, um, prison abolition to, you know, just, whoa, it's a whole lot. Um, so it could be any topic, but they're also, but, you know, to my point, there has to already be a full-fledged commitment to social justice. And so they're just coming to me to support them in the how to do it well, like, How are they doing it that's already reinforcing white supremacy? And what do they need to unlearn about that so that they can learn different things? That's what they come to me to support.
0: Right. They already have the have the structures in place. You have to tighten it up, make it better, make it stronger. So definitely, definitely different. You see, it's
1: different. I do.
0: And I don't think I, I really knew or, you know, understood to that in that way you know, really the difference because it, it really is diversity inclusion type of work is about hiring and making sure you have more people of color in your in your offices but it has nothing to do with, with the culture or the structure of the company or, you know, the, exactly. the workplace environment. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow.
1: I say that I support organizations in doing excellent racial justice work. And, you know, to get to excellent, excellent there's levels. <laughs> so, like, I can take you from good to excellent. I can't take you from racist, white supremacist, like this is actually in, embedded in our profit and what we're profiting off of to
0: racial justice.
1: To, at this point in my life, that's not my work, but you know, everybody got a role. So it's somebody's work, just not mine.
0: Right, right. You you wanna work with those that are, that are doing the work and want to do it better and get to that point of excellence. That's super cool. So so, what about the regular the regular folks, the the me's out there and and others that do want to do get involved in racial justice work? Even for people like me, which I I wouldn't call myself an absolute beginner in the racial justice type of world, but I definitely wouldn't make my way to moderate at all. Right, like somewhere in the middle of the beginning, because I know that I do my best every day to dismantle white supremacy in in my own way in my version right as a therapist as a person that hires other people trying not to do the same things that the colonizers are doing and did to us and even and even trying to conjure up the spirit of like my great-grandmother and stuff like that who I feel like I was named at who I was named after that I guess ancestor Yes, ancestors. Because I think that the things that I know about my about Mama Nady were acts of of resistance. Because she got educated, she got mm. several degrees, made sure all her children went to school and are worked with with black people. Like they're so passionate about working with black people, professors, PhDs, math teachers, like that kind of stuff even to working in the community, um, esthetician, like stuff like that, all my aunts, my great aunts and stuff, my, grand, my grandfather's sisters. Acts of resistance is kind of how I think about my, my day-to-day life when I'm trying to fight against. I think that way, but I can't imagine that, like everybody tries to, and I don't even know that I do it right. From you, again, the expert, how can people get involved in racial justice work from knowing nothing? And would you say, even that it's different for someone like me who's black or who is a therapist or for someone who is white or, you know, like anyone in between mm. there?
1: I love all those questions. You know, I think the first thing I'll say is that there is a really complicated relationship that people have with activism and social justice work. And I just want to name that and acknowledge that upfront. Mm-hmm. I know that a combination of Name that's directed at people who aren't involved in social justice work. That there is that experience alongside the projection that people might put out there of that they feel bad that they're not involved in social justice work. So regardless it's shame but it's like is it shame coming at you or is it shame that you're kind of feeling internally right
0: right 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 I think that is a big thing that people feel like oh no I'm not doing anything or Mm -hmm. I'm gonna be put down because I don't do anything or like Mm -hmm. most like the average white woman oh why I'm so sorry this is happening like that yeah I'm not doing enough like feel bad
1: because I don't actually want to do more. But if you feel bad, maybe I won't have to. Like, you know, but that's why white people. I'm talking to yeah. our people, like,
0: and, you know, people who are white
1: who are like, I want to learn. But, you know, I get paid to deal with people who cry. Like, I don't always have the energy for the white folks when I'm not getting paid. So I... Literally. <laughs> like, literally. So I want to name that because I think that First, what I say for my racial justice work, one of the many things I say, and this comes from um, the public health world, so shout out to folks like Human Impact Partners, a key tenet of racial justice work is to make explicit, to make the implicit explicit. So whatever is going on implicit, if we don't make it explicit, like the power that white supremacy holds over that is reinforced, right? So I make that explicit up front because I actually think that's a really important thing to name before people can even start or as people are thinking about what it means to get involved in social justice work. Like, so that's one thing. Um, and I, I offer to people that. As they're thinking about that, to do some work around ego, to do some work around how ego shows up. Um, just in our daily lives, because I'm telling you, social justice work is no different from daily life and what it means to try to collaborate with people. And we are all traumatized people, and we're traumatized because of the collective experience of navigating white supremacy, and we're traumatized because of the very nuanced ways that we may not even attribute to white supremacy, but they are right, like the daily trauma we go through. And so our ego is showing up in social justice work, and I hate that, (laughs) that that is true, right? Like, that's where you get the shame from other people. Like, that's ego. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we're very clear about, at least in some ways in social justice work is like, check that, because our goal is to welcome as many people into this work as possible, because we need as many of us to defeat white supremacy as possible.
0: Right. So you're not good enough to be a part of it. There could be that message going out somewhere, somehow. Um, mm -hmm. Wow.
1: So ignore that message. Right. Like so I'm when you get that message, um, if you're feeling that. Oh, so there's that. There's when it's coming to you. And then also really process ego and how it can limit you from taking risks around getting involved in racial justice work. Because maybe you're telling a story to yourself that's like rooted in shame of I'm not doing enough. So you kind of freeze and don't do anything. And so I think both of those things are like important to process because. When you start to feel like you're not enough, check on that. Is it coming from the people who you're around? Because if so, you might need to check that, right? Like, and you can check that either by saying something or by just removing yourself and finding another social justice space because there's social justice spaces all over the place.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You don't have to sit with that and then quit because this place or this particular group. Because they made you feel bad. Mm -hmm. Now, if they're checking you, right oh well that would be different
1: you know or or calling you in if they're trying to help you unlearn something then process that but if they're really like shaming you because you don't know x y or z about social justice and damn where you've been at and you know who needs that energy
0: like right but that doesn't mean that white supremacy doesn't still need to be dismantled at the end exactly that's the point
1: so all of that So the other things that I would say is I think it's helpful to think about um, when thinking about what does it look like to get involved in social justice and racial justice work? There's different levels to society. And I'm sure this is something that you all study in psychology. It's something we study in public health um, and probably other things, but very specifically, psychology and public health talk about this. So there's the individual. Then the next level up from the individual is the interpersonal, the relationships we literally have with the people around us. The next level up are organizations. The level above is the community. So how are organizations in relationship with each other? And then the very top highest level of impact and the level of society is the policy level. And so I encourage you to kind of think about what, there's a racial justice version of everything across all these different levels, right? So the individual you kind of talked about, like what are the things that you can do in your daily life, your actions, your attitudes? What are the things that you can learn? you know, there's a racial justice version of, of all of our skills. And our skills can be applied and our skills and our and our interests can be applied to racial justice work, period.
0: Ooh, there's a racial justice version of all of our skills. Hmm. All of our skills. Wow. I yeah. like that. That's a mindset. That's a perspective.
1: You know, um, right now, white supremacy has created a world where either we have to not use our skills because our paid work doesn't use them or our paid work is using them, but it's actually advancing and reinforcing the power dynamics of white supremacy. So there is a racial justice version of money, of psychology, of housing, of real estate, of the environment and how we care for the environment, for how do we Inter, intervene in harm when harm is happening in our communities. Like I could go on and on and on. Um, there's a racial justice version of communications, of tech, of you know, like all of that. So really think at the individual level, like, what are you interested in? Really lay that out. And then just explore, like what are, what's the racial justice vision for what you're interested in Um so, you know, I could talk about that, like if we're talking about like money or wealth, you know, there's like building individual wealth or recreating how white people have taught us to build wealth versus a racial justice vision, which is everyone is has a living wage. There's universal basic income, you know, like even that just as an example to show you what is the difference. Just do some some research around that. Think about unlearning um, how white supremacy has taught us to be in relationship with each other. So that's like therapy, right? (laughs) Go to therapy, like get grounded, you know, all of things. There's individual stuff, read your books, all of that. But there's also interpersonal stuff. So this will look like hold your networks accountable. What are the ways that we know that white supremacy has shaped the people around us, right? Are they, um, are they, are they in conflict in ways that are really violent because you know, white supremacy is violent. How can we support them in, saying, hey, as your person in community, I want to support you to unlearn this. Are they people who say like really harmful, violent things about trans people? You know, like you get what I'm saying. Um, Learn together, learn together, grow together, set boundaries, right? Like Mm -hmm. I love to say, you know, for white people, Check your people, like set some boundaries around them, check yourself and check your people, welcome them into learning. But if they're not willing to learn, check them. The more you're in complicit relationship with people, the more their behavior is approved by you. So really think about what behavior are you approving of by the people you're in relationship with? Mm -hmm. And then most importantly for the interpersonal, like care for each other really show up and care for each other in real ways because this one of the things white supremacy does is it does not create systems of care because that's how it maintains itself by making sure we're traumatized and so what we have to do is really show up out of care for each other because we got to build community-wide versions of that and it's easier to do that when we're practicing it in our daily lives with the people we're in relationship with for the organizational level of society Join an organization. My, always, my recommendation is always going to be find a community of people who care about what you care about by, you know, through the lens of racial justice. Um, right. So an example that I can give uh, in Texas, for example, is Texas Organizing Project. Like they're, an org- they're a statewide organization that does really beautiful racial justice work, but they also have regional chapters like in the, um, I think they're in San Antonio Houston, and Houston and Dallas area. Um, also be honest, you know, like Texas Organizing Project is not the only organization that's doing racial justice. I hesitate to give more recommendations because I'm in Kentucky, so I don't know the landscape in Texas. If you're like, you know, I think a lot of people want to try to like do the work to change the organizations they're already part of. And I think that's cool. You know, I think there, there could be something really good about that, but like be honest about does your organization need to be doing racial justice work? Or are they actually invested in what it means to maintain white supremacy? Because if they're very invested in what it means to maintain white supremacy and you try to get them to do racial justice work, what you actually might do is just offer them more language that they can then neutralize. Don't waste your time on organizations that are like, you know, banks like who literally profit off of this system not go connect banks. with people like yeah. the banks, girl, like <laughs> go connect to people who, um, you know, are really trying to organize, like spend your, your advocacy energy elsewhere. Be mindful of your advocacy energy because you don't, it's not an unlimited resource. No,
0: that um, makes a lot of sense to me though. That makes a lot, yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah.
1: So I think that's probably the, the gist of like some starter recommendations I would offer to people
0: levels of impact that's what I
1: the reason that I use that uh, model in my work is because one of the things that white supremacy does and I could get into the theories all around it but we ain't got time I don't have slides it's like a whole thing but like one (laughs) of the things that white supremacy does is it individualizes everything it wants us to individualize everything right like even the language of white supremacy now visualizes for us like Nazis and KKK you know like the worst of the worst, whatever that means. When white supremacy predates the term racism, like white supremacy is the term that people have been using to describe the entire system.
0: Right. And so and I they, use the levels, the groups, right? Like they get in groups. Like look how bad they get into it is to groups in an organization, or look how bad it is to be a group. Right. Right.
1: To dismantle and end white supremacy is going to take community-wide change. You know, like we were talking about earlier, Mm -hmm. it's going to take us actually taking money from what it's being used on and using it on something else. They don't want us to do that. So if they keep us focused like individual, then it's like, well, what can I do to change myself? What how can we teach people to be different? No, give me the money and we'll decide where it needs to go. So I use the levels of society to kind of show, yes, individual change matters. Right, but in context of the entire society, all the levels of society, we got to think about organizations and policy and resources.
0: Right, because at the end of the day, the way they got us, the way they got us here, was was via system.
1: That's mm, exactly how got
0: to to where we are. The prison system, redlining was a system. It's it's a, so that makes a lot of sense to me. That is really interesting. I think that was like the best the best part of the conversation thus far this evening because that I think the hierarchy of, of the levels that you can have an impact do that resonates a lot with me to say okay this is what I can do on an individual level and the more and more and more you gather together the more impact yes together, right
1: that was one of the things I you know I, I'm very open and honest about that in the work that I do I just gave a training last week Um, to organizations across the state and I told them one of the things I learned from youth organizing is that the only way to win is to be in direct confrontation with white supremacy we can't walk around it we can't put it in the back seat like we got to be in direct confrontation with it and I know that's scary I'm very aware that that's terrifying I'm very aware of that you know Um, I. Well, I also tell people, like, I'm from Texas, I've lived in Kentucky, my people are from Alabama. I don't play about this. Like, I'm, I'm not playing about why it's necessary, but I'm also not playing about why we need to do excellent work, because white supremacy is violent, and excellent work offers us an opportunity to reduce the possibility of their violence impacting us. And what I know is that even with it being as terrifying as it is in ways that, you know, we just tip top like talking about it. Like in my work, it's the details, right? Like in the way that it's scary, it is way less scary when we do it together. They at, white supremacists, you know, are actually, oh, I hate to use this word weak, but like, I mean, they're trash. Like, I don't even know how to say it, but like <laughs> trash. when you, with enough resistance, they go to the most violent because their actual way to win is to bully us.
0: And right. with they enough of us, strategy. they don't, they don't have, well, no. yeah. Like they can't really defend themselves because they know what they're doing is wrong. Yes. So they can't. Yes.
1: And when enough of us are like, are you going to, are you going to take down all of us? That's actually, look, I could do a whole thing, which I won't. Cause I know we're, we're close to time, but I could do a whole thing about how they divide our shared interests and pit us against each other. That's intentional so that they can break down our numbers. Right. Cause when we come together and we're like, I mean we can we can match the energy like they freak out. The gist of what it means to dismantle white supremacy through my recommendations, you're right are find your people, like find your people, and do the work together, whatever that looks like in your mm-hmm. context.
0: That is so cool. So what just popped out, jumped out to me is the the how scary it is, right? It's very, very scary to be in confrontation with white supremacy, with racism. Uh, like you said, using that interchangeably. So I wonder about the day-to-day encounters then too, because people, Black folks love to talk about work and how, you know, the struggle Mm -hmm. of just like going to work every day and the types of microaggressions and discrimination that we face, Black tax and all these different things. Like it's just a, it's just a reality of our, of our regular lives. Is there a different way? Is there a better way to handle racist encounters in the work in the workplace? Because that's that's where I think we see it, I think, on the most personal level the most often.
1: You know, that's a good question. And I, I think that it's kind of a complicated answer. I mean, I think the gist is that. you really do need to ask yourself, like, how invested are you in, in something? And what are your goals? Is your goal to just get this one person to see what they're doing is it that they do see what they're doing and you need to stop it is it that it's part of a culture and uh within that work culture like there's no conversation about racism so you know you'd have to start the conversation from scratch is it that there's already some conversation you know like diversity inclusion equity and so you need to contextualize this microaggression within the conversation that's happening i mean it it just depends on what are your goals, but I would say that generally, you know, there are different options, and I think that all of them are valid to some degree. Um, There is the option to be assertive and practice assertiveness, which is generally probably the recommended option, which, you know, assertiveness can be a span of what you say, like it can be um, just making sure that person understands right then and there like I don't like that you said that and I'm not even going to explain it to you but I'm just telling you you know like you don't have to go into like let me educate you about racism I think that's the gist
0: right 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 unless you're getting paid
1: to educate white people about racism right I don't think you need to (laughs) I think you can always choose not to (laughs) unless you're white but like if you are not white and you are not getting paid to educate white people like I'm telling you There are those of us who do get paid.
0: I do not have the time. I don't have the time.
1: Okay, do your work. Like, (laughs) you do the work that you want to do and know that there are people, and maybe that's what you can do is you can recommend to the office, there are people who get paid to do this. That's not within my job description. I would like you all to find somebody who can come in and talk to you white people about microaggression. You know, you can communicate that. Um, You could also choose not to say anything, but that's you kind of... You know, when you don't say things like resentment might build up, like you got to kind of have to figure out, like, how are you going to navigate this workspace if you're not going to say anything? And then, of course, you could be assertive by letting them know, like, I don't like that you said that. And white people are sensitive. Um, White people that I have a whole, you know, I got a whole thread of work that talks about how conditioned white people are to immediately go into like conflict survival mode whenever they're confronted with racism, with the way that they're showing up as racist. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there is always the, the possibility that you saying something, that you checking them, even lovingly, that they're going to respond with the way that white people are allowed to respond, which is why I, I really wanted to say, like earlier when I was talking about the organizational work that people can do, be honest about what is your organization. And the way that you can best be honest about what is your organization's like either commitment to dismantling white supremacy or commitment to maintaining white supremacy, the way you can really come to an understanding about that is to do your own work, right? To learn about racism and learn about the visioning of racial justice strategy, especially. Don't just dive into the the ills of racism but really dive into what's the vision that those of us who do racial justice strategy work are laying out, because then you'll be able to contextualize, do I want to go to, go to battle like around,
0: Mm -hmm. you know, at Mm -hmm. this
1: organization, at my job. Um, And if I do, then what does that mean for how I show up? If I don't, then what does that mean for how I show up?
0: I think that's important. I think it was really important that you said you do have the option to say nothing. Like, obviously, like you don't have to like, fight these people on their their foolishness because that is somebody's job i think that that's important for people to hear because i've had a lot of friends that were afraid to lose their jobs you know lest they say anything
1: Uh, which is fair because we live in a society where if you don't work Right, everything will crumble in everything front of crumble. you. Mm-hmm. Right,
0: the United States of America. So if they don't work, they make no money. They have no health insurance. They have no health care. Blah blah blah, and so on. Because of that, I do feel very blessed. Uh, I don't know whose fault it is, but I have never been afraid to get fired from a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially
1: <laughs> a historical fact about you. <laughs> a
0: historical fact about. Since I been, knew you, since I first knew you. I've <laughs> been afraid to let somebody fire me for a job over some injustice mm-hmm. because I, I am the, the, the person that's probably on the end, on the third thing of what you said that will sort of stand up. Not that I'm going to explain it to everybody, but to say this is wrong, you know mm-hmm. it is. But if you didn't you know it is. You right now, you know it is. But if you didn't, that's okay. I'm you right now. That was unacceptable. Mm-hmm. That was not okay. And been fired. Like not afraid to and been let go from a job mm-hmm. uh, for for saying too much and calling them out every time a racist act occurred. I could tell y'all mm-hmm. stories, but like she said, we got we're on a time constraint. I hope y'all are listening first of all. Whoever is listening to this episode, I do hope that you are really listening and taking this stuff in because I think this is very applicable and we can help get involved with making the change. Like she says, there are people that are at the head of this that have the education and have the and have the the background for it and can direct and guide you to where to be as long as we're doing it together, you know? So I think that's I, super, super One fun.
1: thing, too, I'll say about, like, the people who have the education, the people who are expertise, I just want to make sure that I'm really clear that, like, expertise in this work does not just come from graduate degrees and, and writing theses and, mm. you know, being in paid leadership at, like, major organizations. Like,
0: mm. yes,
1: that is very much part of my path. But my education, what really got me together were people who don't have master's degrees, right? People who are most impacted, people who are poor, people who are really navigating what it means to be like victims of police violence, you know, like the people who are really having to survive. And so just, I just want to hold, there's like, there's a collective of what it means to study this work that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to read graduate level work starting off right like yeah. so I just kind of want to say like there's so 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 many ways that people develop expertise but expertise the pattern is that it's something that's developed
0: wow yeah I appreciate you mentioning that that these are all just a really really good gems across the board now racial justice work Asia is hard as i understand it and i know you oh. mentioned you mentioned the pleasure thing the the idea of like leisure activity and 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 having pleasure in your life and not living i interpreted that as not living to work you know not working yeah. to live it's not mm-hmm. about that life is meant to just be lived and enjoyed and like you say being in alignment with things that are meaningful to you and my platform in general my my goal is to really push the idea of balancing your life really pushing the idea of living well um Mm -hmm. not just not just living at medium or moderate or mediocre i gave you i let you know like all the dimensions of wellness that i talk about in in practice with clients and on on the platform in general so where you are with this mindset, which dimensions for you are most relevant, especially with doing this this kind of work? Where do you give the most energy to when you are trying to be at your best and feel and feel really good? And has that I would wonder also has that like changed over the course of this journey that you've been on of of doing all the racial justice work?
1: Yeah, so I took your dimensions and I put them in order.
0: Oh, because um, okay. I think it there's like one.
1: Not just one. I was like, they're, they're all there. They're just like, where, you know, how much of my energy is really focused on it.
0: 100%. So, and I would
1: definitely say that it shifts and evolves depending on like what's coming up. But generally, I think this is probably most true. Mm-hmm. So um probably not going to surprise you, but intellectual, this <laughs> was like my first uh, probably... intellectual slash cultural. Like I feel like those two actually are very connected. Um, Then my, my next is mental. So I'm very, very intentional around mental health, you know, just, again, Gemini. So I really got to be able to like, understand what's going on in my brain. Um, And so journaling, things like that. Physical, you know, this, like physical movement is super important. Um, I have found, I think, especially how much it releases the trauma that my body is taking on. Yeah. Um, how much it releases the anxiety that my body is taking on. So I'm very, very like everyday physical gets more and more important, but still intellectual, cultural, and mental are I would say like my big three. Top, top. Um then I would say it's emotional. I mean Not because I want it to be, again, Gemini, like, if you know, you know, like, the feelings or things that like my brain would rather not have to dig into, but it's important. It's important. (laughs) I would say like, spending more time with my emotions. Um, Talk about it as like water energy, you know, just offering more water energy. Um, Then the next, I would say is creative and environmental. So really like thinking trying to apply my creativity to the environment I'm in, obviously my home, but even the visioning that I'm doing for what kind of society do we live in? I really try to like play into my creativity there. And then I would say social, Um, you know, I have a really beautiful, like, obviously I have my friends from, from college, like just that 10 year, like y'all are just so important to my life. But then also here, I have a really incredible um, ecosystem, like, my own little ecosystem of people who do this work, and you know, we're all in this thing together. Um, we work professionally together in many ways, but our friendships developed first. Um, then I would say sexual, uh, which you know, I'm trying to have that climb
0: climb up a little yeah, bit.
1: Okay, pull it up. I'm trying, girl. I'm trying. Um, and then, and then spiritual, um, then professional, then financial. For
0: sure. For sure. That's really cool. Either way it goes. I don't know that there there's not a right and a wrong. Like wherever emotional right. falls, wherever they all fall. I think if you as long as you have your things that bring you the most joy and then you add or the things that you pour into and then you make sure to add a few that bring you joy exactly it's a little bit different between the two but as long as you have those things if you're pouring into your intellectual you're pouring into into the 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 mental health a lot but have those things underneath that support and provide the balance because you know when something gets shaky and all you have, is you know, your intellectual health, and that's what I worry about the most and whatever. It's like where then then what do you do? Everything falls apart. There's nothing to help pick up uh, the slack on the other end. Mm-hmm. But I think that's really cool. If you if you had to give um, a really good piece of advice, one liner, little gem for anyone that is on a on a wellness healing sort of journey, in this context of dealing with with racial justice work maybe they've experienced some kind of race-based trauma what is your recommendation or advice to that person
1: I mean first I would say that white supremacy is traumatic Mm -hmm. and you individually and we as a community deserve so much more care and protection and love and joy and rest and I would actually just reflect on that a lot, just that as a simple truth, the fact that we deserve more, mm-hmm. and get detailed with yourself about that, right? What do what do you deserve? What does your family deserve? What does your community deserve? Like, make that clear, because that's definitely something that reinforces white supremacy's trauma is that we experience it. And then white supremacy kind of tells us, well, you deserve it. You know, like, if you experience suffering, that's your fault, you should have made better choices. And so really just like sit with like, we deserve more and know that we're fighting for more. Like there are, there are those of us who put our every single day's like expertise and brilliance and energy into what it means to fight for more. So I'd reflect on that. And then I would also say that there's really different, there's like two different um paths that you can take if you're um, kind of navigating a wellness and healing journey, right? There's, I'm talking about them as like resiliency and radical healing. Mm -hmm. So there's resiliency, which is like, what can you do to just to not just, but to maintain as things are. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, like healing in place, right? So journaling your thoughts, um, having your dimensions of wellness, like what are the things that you can do to kind of um, support yourself right now? Um, as things are, recognizing that at least in the next day, like this system's not changing. And so if, if the system doesn't change, what do you do to, to have some resilience? Exactly. And then also radical healing is, and the system needs to change, and the society needs to change. And so what does it look like for you, you know, to, and I've said this to psychology, I've done, I've taught different I've got gone in and done presentations and collaborations with different psychology classes. And they always get annoyed when I say this, they're like you can't tell people that, but like get involved in social justice. I think they're like, yeah, I don't, you can't tell people to get involved as a way to heal. And I'm like, I think I can. I mean, there are many other, many other people who think that as well, including Sean Jenright, Wright, Who um, talks a lot about radical healing, but so radical healing is like, I mean, do you want to just maintain, do you want to just, try to be, become more and more resilient to an ever-increasing white supremacist society? Um, Or do you want, and or, do you want to join the work to build something new? Um, And I think these two can be related. They are at their best and healthiest when there is a balance between them. Um, But they also can be very different, right? You can do the resilience work without getting involved in any radical healing work. You can do the radical healing work without doing your own personal resilience work and get burned out um, and not be able to show up in, for as long and as well as you need to. Mm-hmm. So, I offered those two very general um, thoughts, but I hope that when you hear them, there are ways that you can start thinking based off what we've talked about already, what that might, what that could look like for you in your context.
0: I think so. I think that you gave us a lot to work with and a good starting point, especially for someone who has never been involved or or maybe has wanted to and didn't know where to start. I honestly do think that you gave some really, really cool gems today that could get somebody going, even like you said, even if it's in Texas, even if it's anywhere else, I think that they will have some, some really good steps to take and then also then know how to take care of themselves a little bit as well after dealing with everything that we have to deal with on a on a daily basis so mm-hmm. that i'm so excited that you did this with me i'll definitely put links to things i want to go in a little bit deeper about this so we'll see what what comes up what you have time for i'm down
1: girl you got a topic well we can talk about it I we can talk about it. it
0: yeah so once again i appreciate you thank you so much wow that was amazing I absolutely loved that and everything she said. I was taking notes even while I was editing this episode. So I really hope you guys were listening closely. You probably had to go back and rewind a few times. I know I did. So I hope you gained some really valuable information. Talking to her is always so enlightening and educating and motivating to change things and change our circumstance and change what's going on in the world. So I love you guys so much. Thanks for listening. I will see you on the next one.